worry about anything but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Thanks for joining us today. This is the Hour of Intercession. I'm Pastor Joseph Park. We invite you to look with us beginning with in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead, and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him be forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him even those who pierced him, and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I'm the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom, and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the Spirit. Suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, who was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waters. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Write down what you have seen, 
both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Revelation chapter 1. Thank you, Lord, for being El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. Thank you for being our King of kings and our Lord of lords. Thank you, Lord, for all of your word and the gift your word is to us in so many ways. And thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have every day of our lives of being able to come to you in prayer, to talk to you, to worship you, to give you thanks, praise, glory, and honor. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you for health and strength. Thank you for the chance to know you, to be able to serve you. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of your family, the church, people of God. And thank you for the privilege of being able to be involved in the great work of the sharing of the gospel and the great work of making disciples, carrying out the great commission in the world. Thank you for that, that opportunity. Help us, Lord, to be faithful servants, following you daily in carrying out this important work. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the Hour of Intercession. Again, I'm Pastor Joseph Parker. Our producer is Isaac Jackson. Isaac is going to lead us in a word of prayer at this time. Hey, Father, I just want to ask that you'd move in these moments, that you'd bless Pastor Joseph as he uh, reads Scripture today. Father, I ask that you'd bless our listeners with your presence, with knowledge of you, with experiencing your goodness, Father, that they would get to know Jesus better, that they would see his love, they'd be moved by him, Father. Um, thank you so much for the hour of intercession and for this opportunity that we have, and uh, we just offer this to you. This is something you've handed us, and Father, uh, we, we work to multiply it for your good name with everything that you've given us. In your holy name, amen. 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 Thank you, Isaac. And thank you again for being a part of our listening family. Uh, many of you, our listeners, are aware of the fact that my wife, Birdie, and I have had the privilege of helping to begin a ministry that serves in the Mississippi Delta. The ministry is entitled the Pregnancy Care and Hope Center Ministry. It is a mobile medical pregnancy ministry uh, that is to be serving the Greenwood communities, Greenville, and the Mississippi Valley State communities as well. The website is deltapchc.org. Again, that's deltapchc.org. If you'd like to learn more about the ministry, we would like to ask you to pray for the Pregnancy Care and Hope Center ministry. Pray for God to bless and prosper. And if you feel led to give financially to help support the work and the mission, we would certainly appreciate you prayerfully considering that. Whoever and wherever you may live, my encouragement to every listener is Pray about what the Lord would have you to do to be much more involved in the work of standing boldly for life and against the tragedy of abortion. Thank the Lord that, that by the grace of God, many in many of our states, basically abortion has been outlawed, which it should be because sadly, many don't seem to realize abortion is just a, sadly another word for first-degree murder. And it's important that we understand that's what it is, though that may sound like a harsh thing to say. Sadly, many don't realize that's exactly what it is. And thank the Lord that Roe v. Wade was overturned. But our ongoing encouragement to every listener is pray and say, Lord, show me what you want me to do to help stand for life and against the tragedy of abortion. I'm going to take time to read an article that shares one more important thing that any local church could prayerfully consider doing to help 
with the important work of standing boldly for life and standing against the tragedy of abortion. This article is entitled, Is Your Church a House of Refuge? An article that we wrote and placed on the AFA stand. Again, the title, Is Your Church a House of Refuge? In our nation, the landscape of the battlefield for life has changed, yet the battle continues to rage. State legislatures are passing laws, some to take steps to support life and others to further promote abortion. Tragically, most abortions in our nation are chemical abortions, and sadly, this kind of abortion can be hidden, done in secret. And yes, this kind of abortion can be obtained and has been obtained in all 50 states after the passing of Roe v. Wade. It is critical that the church recognizes that our battle is genuinely a spiritual one being fought in the heavens. The church is genuinely the most powerful institution in the world. It's simply vital that we come to realize who we are and what we are called to do. What are we called to do? We are called to love. We're called to love people by proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, and we're called to love people by being the hands and feet of Jesus in a world full of troubled, weary, and lost people. A very important group of people that the church must come alongside is mothers who find themselves expecting a baby at a tough time in their lives. What can the church do to passionately show these mothers the love of Jesus in a very faithful and genuine way? Well, one of the things a church can do is it can choose to become a house of refuge. The national ministry, pro-life ministry, Love Life, is helping local churches across our nation get involved with standing for life by helping them to become houses of refuge. A house of refuge is a local church that does the following things. Number one, this church reads the house of refuge statement at least twice a year from the pulpit. And this church posts the statement publicly on their website and or in their lobby. See the statement below. Number two, this church has selected a representative from their congregation, and Love Life has trained that rep to equip their church family to be a house of refuge. The following is the house of refuge statement. Our church is a house of refuge. This applies to everyone in this church or people you know that need a place of refuge. Here's what we believe. If you find yourself in an unplanned pregnancy, Please know that being pregnant is not a sin, and the child you carry is not a punishment. This child is a blessing. God is knitting this child in your womb. You may have made, you may have made a sinful decision that led to this pregnancy, or you may have been sinned against, but we want you to know that you are loved, and we will do whatever it takes to help you carry and care for this precious child before and after birth. We can never support or encourage a woman to have an abortion because the child you carry is made in the image of God and is innately valuable and loved by God. You need to know how we will respond. Here's what we won't do. This church family will not tolerate gossip about you, shame you, or abandon you. This is a house of refuge, and we will not allow the family of God to harm one another with words or actions contrary to the love of God as revealed in the Word of God. Here's what we will do. We will do everything in our power to remove whatever obstacles stand in the way of you having this child. We are people in this, there are people in this church ready to mentor you, throw you a baby shower, and connect you to resources inside and outside our church, a local pregnancy care center. 
We will also hold men accountable for living out their calling to provide and protect women and children. Finally, if you have ever had an abortion in your past, we want you to know that abortion is not an unforgivable sin. Whoever confesses and forsakes their sin finds mercy. If you have never gone through a post-abortion Bible study, we will be happy to connect you to one so that you can walk in complete healing and freedom. If your church has a desire to become a house of refuge, it's not hard to go through the process. And the reason to do it is because it helps the church in one more powerful and effective and important way to further be the hands and feet of Jesus in this tough world. For more information about this opportunity, Love Life's website is lovelife.org. Again, that's lovelife.org. Again, the title of this article is, Is Your Church a House of Refuge? And I would encourage you to email us to get a copy of it so that you'll have it. But also, I would encourage you to uh, make a copy and take it to your church and share it with your pastor or pastoral staff and allow them to read it as well because it's not a difficult thing for a local church to become a house of refuge, but it's a wonderful way to love women who find themselves expecting a baby at a difficult time in their lives in our communities. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we as individual local churches have of being able to do this great outreach that's called being a house of refuge. Father, move upon many congregations to prayerfully consider doing just that, becoming a house of refuge, one that will love and embrace these precious young moms and minister to them according to God's perfect will. Father, more and more, help us individually and collectively to walk in such a way that daily we will function as your hands and feet in the world, showing the love of Jesus Christ through our words, our actions, our attitude, the things we say, the things we do, and help us to know, Lord, that there's so much work to be done in the battle of standing for life and the battle to end abortion. Help us to know, Lord, that this is no time for any of us to sit on the sidelines. There's so much work to be done, many more babies to be saved, and that it's our job to love these babies, these women, these families at a time that may be difficult for them. In Jesus' name we do pray, amen. Again, the title of that article, Is your church a house of refuge? My email, joseph at afr.net. We'll be right back.
Music of Planet Shakers with Only Way, a reminder that Jesus Christ is the only way to eternal life and eternal salvation. Thanks for listening to the Hour of Intercession here on American Family Radio. We now pick up now reading through the Word of God in the Old Testament, the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. About a month later, King Nahash of Ammon led his army against the Israelite town of Jabesh-Gilead. But all the citizens of Jabesh asked for peace. Make a treaty with us, and we will be your servants, they pleaded. All right, Nahash said, but only on one condition. I will gouge out the right eye of every one of you as a disgrace to all Israel. Give us seven days to send messengers throughout Israel, replied the elders of Jabesh, if no one comes to save us, we will agree to your terms. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and told the people about their plight, everyone broke into tears. Saul had been plowing a field with his oxen, and when he returned to town, he asked, What's the matter? Why is everyone crying? So they told him about the message from Jabesh. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul, and he became very angry. He took two oxen and cut them into pieces and sent the messengers to carry them throughout Israel with this message. This is what will happen to the oxen of anyone who refuses to follow Saul and Samuel into battle. And the Lord made the people afraid of Saul's anger, and all of them came out together as one. When Saul mobilized them at Bezek, he found that there were 300,000 men from Israel and 30,000 men from Judah. So Saul sent the messengers back to Jabesh-Gilead to say, We will rescue you by noontime tomorrow. There was great joy throughout the town when that message arrived. The men of Jabesh then told their enemies, Tomorrow we will come out to you and you can do to us whatever you wish. But before dawn, the next morning, Saul arrived, having divided his army into three detachments. He launched a surprise attack against the Ammonites and slaughtered them the whole morning. The remnant of their army was so badly scattered that no two of them were left together. Then the people exclaimed to Samuel, Now where are those men who said, Why should Saul rule over us? Bring them here and we will kill them. But Saul replied, no one, no one will be executed today, for today the Lord has rescued Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us all go to Gilgal to renew the kingdom. So they all went to Gilgal, and in a solemn ceremony before the Lord they made Saul king. Then they offered peace offerings to the Lord, and Saul and all the Israelites were filled with joy. 1 Samuel chapter 12. Then Samuel addressed all Israel. I have done as you asked and given you a king. Your king is now your leader. I stand here before you, an old gray-haired man, and my sons serve you. I have served as your leader from the time I was a boy to this very day. Now testify against me in the presence of the Lord and before his anointed one, Whose ox or donkey have I stolen? Have I ever cheated any of you? Have I ever oppressed you? 
Have I ever taken a bribe and perverted justice? Tell me and I will make right whatever I have done wrong. No, they replied. You have never cheated or oppressed us and you have never taken even a single bribe. The Lord and his anointed one are my witnesses today, Samuel declared, that my hands are clean. Yes, he is a witness, they replied. It was the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron, Samuel continued. He brought your ancestors out of the, excuse me, out of the land of Egypt. Now stand here quietly before the Lord as I remind you all of the great things the Lord has done for you and your ancestors. When the Israelites were in Egypt and cried out to the Lord, he sent Moses and Aaron to rescue them from Egypt and bring them into this land. But the people soon forgot about the Lord their God, so he handed them over to Sisera, the commander of Hazor's army, and also to the Philistines and to the king of Moab who fought against them. Then they cried to the Lord again and confessed, We have sinned by turning away from the Lord and worshiping the images of Baal and Ashtoreth. But we will worship you and but we will worship you and you alone if you rescue us from our enemies. Then the Lord sent Gideon, Bedan, Jephthah, and Samuel to save you, and you lived in safety. But when you were afraid of Nahash, the king of Ammon, you came to me and said that you wanted a king to reign over you, even though the Lord your God was already your king. All right, here is the king you have chosen. You asked for him, and the Lord has granted your request. Now, if you fear and worship the Lord and listen to his voice, and if you do not rebel against the Lord's commands, then both you and your king will, then both you and your king will show you, excuse me, but and then both you and your king will show that you recognize the Lord as your God. But if you rebel against the Lord's commands and refuse to listen to him, then his hand will be as heavy upon you as it was upon your ancestors. Now stand here and see the great thing the Lord is about to do. You know that it does not rain at this time of the year during the wheat harvest. I will ask the Lord to send thunder and rain today. Then you will realize how wicked you have been in asking the Lord for a king. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people were terrified of the Lord and of Samuel. Pray to the Lord your God for us, for we, or we will die, they all said to Samuel. For now we have added to our sins by asking for a king. Don't be afraid, Samuel reassured them. You have certainly done wrong, but make sure now that you worship the Lord with all your heart and don't turn your back on him. Don't go back to worshiping worthless idols that cannot help or rescue you. They are totally useless. The Lord will not abandon his people because that would dishonor his great name. For it is for, for it has pleased the Lord to make you his very own people. As for me, I will certainly not sin against the Lord by ending my prayers for you. 
and I will continue to teach you what is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve Him. Think of all the wonderful things He has done for you. But if you continue to sin, you and your king will be swept away. 1 Samuel chapter 13 Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 42 years. Saul selected 3,000 special troops from the army of Israel and sent the rest of the men home. He took sent, and sent the rest of the men home. He took 2,000 of the chosen men with him to Michmash and the hill country of Bethel. The other 1,000 went with Saul's son Jonathan to Gibeah in the land of Benjamin. Soon after this, Jonathan attacked and defeated the garrison of the Philistines of Gibeah. The news spread quickly among the Philistines. So Saul blew the ram's horn throughout the land, saying, Hebrews, hear this. Rise up in revolt. All Israel heard the news that Saul had destroyed the Philistine garrison at Gibeah, and that the Philistines now hated the Israelites more than ever. So the entire Israelite army was summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines mustered a mighty army of 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and as many warriors as the grains of sand on the seashore. They camped at Michmash, east of Beth Haven. The men of Israel saw what a tight spot they were in, and because they were, and because they were hard-pressed by the enemy, they tried to hide in caves, thickets, rocks, holes, and cisterns. Some of them crossed the Jordan River and escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel still didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away, so he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offerings himself. Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet and welcome him, but Samuel said, what is this you have done? Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me and you didn't arrive when you said you would and the Philistines are at Michmash, ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Samuel then left Gilgal and went on his way, but the rest of the troops went with Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah in the land of Benjamin. When Saul counted the men who were still with him, 
he found only 600 were left. Saul and Jonathan and the troops with them were, say, were staying at Geba in the land of Benjamin. The Philistines set up their camp at Michmash. Three raiding parties soon left the camp of the Philistines. One went north toward Ophrah in the land of Shual. Another went west to Beth Horon. And the third moved toward the border above the valley of Zeboim near the wilderness. There were no blacksmiths in the land of Israel in those days. The Philistines wouldn't allow them for fear they would make swords and spears for the Hebrews. So when excuse me. So whenever the Israelites needed to sharpen their plowshares, picks, axes, or sickles, they had to take them to a Philistine blacksmith. The charges were as follows. A quarter of an ounce of silver for sharpening a plowshare or a pick, and an eighth of an ounce for sharpening an ox or making the point of an ox goad. So on the day of the battle, none of the people of Israel had a sword or spear except for Saul and Jonathan. The pass at Michmash had meanwhile been secured by a contingent of the Philistine army. 1 Samuel chapter 14 One day Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah, around the pomegranate tree at Migron. Among Saul's men was Abiah, was Ahijah, the priest, who was wearing the ephod, the priest best. Ahijah was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord who had served at Shiloh. No one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Sene. The cliff on the north was in front of Michmash, and the one on the south was in front of Geba. Let's go across to the outpost of, the, of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle, whether he has many warriors or only a few? Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. All right then, Jonathan told him. We will cross over and let them see us. Verses 1 through 8, 1 Samuel chapter 14. You're listening to the Hour of Intercession as we continue reading through the Word of God. We'll be back. Sometimes the 
Sometimes the sky was so far away Sometimes it seemed distant so close You could touch it but your heart would break Sometimes the morning came too soon Sometimes the day could be so Rich Mullins, the song Sometimes by Step. Thanks for listening to the Hour of Intercession here on American Family Radio. We continue now reading through the Word of God as we pick up in the New Testament, the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and set out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. And you are included among the Gentiles, excuse me, and you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I'm writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith in Him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about His Son. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, 
that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit, just as I've seen among other Gentiles. For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and, une and uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome, too, to preach the good news. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For even since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Romans chapter 2 
You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very, do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers but he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be, will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in His sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law, show that they know his law when they, when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts, for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. You who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law and you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what is right because you have been taught his law. You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God. For you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say, the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. 
the Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law, but don't obey it. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit, and a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. End of Romans chapter 2. Well, as we normally do before we end the broadcast, if you are listening today and you have never invited Jesus Christ to come into your heart to be the Lord and Savior of your life, today is a great and a wonderful day to make that eternally important decision. Would you now, from your heart, pray this prayer with me to commit your heart and life to the Lord? Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me so very much that you came into this world a long time ago you lived, you died on the cross to pay for all our sins. Three days later, you rose up from the dead so that I could be saved. Lord, I confess. Lord, I've sinned and done wrong in many, many ways. Lord, I repent and I turn from all the wrong I've done. Forgive me, Lord, for all the wrong things I've done. Lord Jesus, come into my heart, be the Lord and Savior of my life. In your word, you told us, whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, I'm calling on your name. Lord, save me, fill me with your spirit. Help me to live for you all my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, we're very much wanting to be in touch with you, to communicate and touch base with you. My email is joseph at afr.net. Again, that's joseph at afr.net. Uh, please get in touch with us. We'd like to share with you some literature and resource material that will help you to begin to grow and grow up strong and vibrant in your new walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, that email, joseph at afr.net. Please get in touch with us. We look forward to speaking with you. Thanks for listening to the Hour of Intercession. If you're like, if you wanted to get a copy of the article that we shared earlier, the article is entitled, Is Your Church a House of Refuge? If you'd like to get a copy, simply email us, same email, joseph at afr.net. We'll be glad to get it to you. Or any other of the articles we've shared in the past, if you're wanting copies, you're welcome to let us know. We'd be glad to get them to you. Once again, that email, joseph at afr.net. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for the Hour of Intercession.
The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.